Tech Talks is partnered with Tom's, the only music shop for all of our audio needs for season two. Tom's has helped us successfully kit out our operation to cope with the unique situation of these challenging times and have given us an M-Audio Air 192 for Vocal Studio Pro, which is basically an all-in-one starter pack with a high-quality condenser mic, studio-quality headphones, and this slick, easy-to-use audio interface that I'm actually using right now. And for somebody like me who's slightly technically challenged, it was the easiest to set up on my Mac, and it's geared towards creating the highest studio-quality recordings. So sit back and enjoy this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to the frontman, one of the most eclectic pop bands in the country. From rock to rap to bits of electronic production, for the last 11 years he has been leading D. Hevel's Fantasties into all sorts of uncharted waters, most recently having to build a lockdown style album launch from scratch and executing it to perfection. In fact, I would probably stick my neck out and say that it was the best live stream I've seen from from any local artist or band under the current circumstances. I am, of course, talking about the musical and entrepreneurial maven that is Pierre Gref. Pierre, welcome. What's up? What's up? <laughs> Jeez, just, um, I don't know. Hearing somebody talk about that live stream launch, it gets me frazzled and stressed. <laughs> I'm 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 sorry. I really I really want to make you feel at home, but we are going to talk about that later. But I feel like let's lead with like things that are a bit more warm and fuzzy. So for me, the best thing about this podcast um, has been being able to sit down with people for the first time. And I know that you and I, even though you know you've been spearheading Hearvoice now for eleven years, it's been eleven years since the the release of your first self titled album. This is the first time that we've sat down. Um, for an interview. So, so that's dope. So thank you for, for taking the time. But I, what I want to know is, did you and Hunter always have a clear vision of, of what it was that you wanted to do with Hebels or did it kind of just start out as a bit of a side project? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think we had a clear vision of what we wanted to achieve um, with this, with the project, but I didn't, I don't think we at all thought it would be more than like one record or, or like a side project. Um, and yeah, now 11 years on, it's crazy what we just released our sixth album. I was filling in Sampra documents today. It's like almost a hundred songs we've recorded. So yeah, crazy. So how did those early days of Hervils differ to the creative process you had when you were in La Crocodile with Alvain? Yeah, so in in Le Crocodile, we basically brought songs in. So I would bring a song in, and we would then just kind of record it and arrange it together. With Yevils, it was very much kind of, you know, us hanging out in the suburb we grew up. Uh, I mean, I think Hunter was the first person I ever co-wrote the song with when I was 16. Um, so that was kind of us, you know, finally getting to do that again and being able to... I don't know, just go with whatever felt good, you know, like mm. it, it didn't really matter because um, all of it was written so rough on guitars and stuff and, and Johnny was our big collaborator having started his studio back then and he was like, okay, cool, I'll 
I'll make something out of these chords and melodies that you have, and then we can revisit it again. So it was very workshopped from from day one um, between the three of us. That first record specifically. And what was your your day job at the time? Were you studying? Were you were you working somewhere? Because I realized that apart from Pierre the musician uh, and recently Pierre the entrepreneur with Leaf the Betty Dam, I don't really know. Um, too much about you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was kind of after giving up my degree in Stellenbosch, moving back to my parents' place in Belleville, I decided to go study at Red and Yellow, um, a post-grad in, in marketing and advertising. And then by the time this record was almost done, I was working for Red Bull. So okay. that, that was me during that time. And then, yeah, it it kind of, you know, it was very DIY. I mean, I had to like drop off the CDs at the Musica warehouse and, you know, like starting up a label as well, basically because we had to. There was no other way or there was mm. nobody else who was going to release it. So, yeah, that was me, like red bulling and dropping off CDs and stuff. And then kind of four or five months into it, I kind of realized, okay, wait, there's some momentum here. I'm... I'm I might as well do this full time for now, you know, but never really thinking it was going to be my job 11 years later, you know. I'm so happy that you brought up Super Familias, your label that you and Hunter co-founded, because I feel like you were yeah. way ahead of your time releasing independently like that. Was it, I mean, was it just easier to like DIY the whole release? Because like you said, you know, there weren't a lot of people, you know, that could help help you out at that point in time. Or, I mean, did you understand about like holding on to your music rights or was that something that kind of came later after you co-founded the label? No, I, I think I, I'm immediately after kind of doing the Krakatoa with Rhythm Records who had released kind of all my friends' music back then. And even though, I mean, Rhythm, their model was very much a JV with every artist, you know, never mind all these really like whack record deals you used to get back then, you mm. know, which was kind of a fair, you know, I thought Albert from Rhythm, he had a very fair model in terms of how he, he, he dealt with his artists. Um, but, I, you know, I just kind of figured, I, I think we got to meet one of the buyers from Musica um, through Albert or something, Yaku, and like he was very excited about the project. And even before the record came out, we sold him like these USB flash drives <laughs> that had four songs on them um, before the CD came out. And he like put them in 20 shops and, you know, that's a pretty cool collector's item. That was actually the first, you know, physical music we released. Um, and then I was like, okay, cool. It, but in that case, let's just do it ourselves. You know, let's drive to the warehouse and drop off the CDs and find somebody to print it. We actually had a buddy who was kind of in the replication business anyway. And I don't know. I, I always liked the kind of DIY of it rather than having someone do everything for you. You know, it's like my aptitude. Mm. I think I, I like doing shit. <laughs> I feel like from that album, there there are a lot of songs, like when I think of Fangalian or Pilafakasvius or Klein Tambotibum, a lot of those songs are like inextricably tied up with their music videos. I can like see those music videos in my mind when I think of those songs. Um, I think mainly because I was like watching Imka basically all day, every day. But how yeah. much of a role did that channel play in the formation of your fan base when you guys started? No, I think it's, I mean, we, we ended up making a music video for every single song on that first album because that platform existed. Mm. We were just like, listen, we've got this, we've got this amazing opportunity to get eyeballs on our music. 
you know, so let's just produce content. And they were gracious enough to play basically all of it, you know, and even helped us produce Clanton Booty Boom's video through their kind of MVP style, you know, here's a, here's a little bit of money, make us some content, you know. And it, and that is what MK was supposed to be. I think Chris Becker, he, he never intended for it to make a lot of money. He just wanted it to be kind of this incubation hub, kind of support the arts mission. You know, it was never supposed to be a massively profitable business. And I, what I heard is like when he came back from sabbatical and they kind of ran the channel into the ground, he was like super upset, you know. But that's just what I heard. But anyway, MK, I think for all for all of my f group of friends, like the A-King boys and Funko Cartel and even Fokoff, and it it helped solidify a, a big part of our audience mm. it, at, a, at, a, at a critical part in, in your career, you know, w with your first album. Yeah. I mean, like you, you guys, I think it was with Funga Alia and you were number one on their top 10 for like three weeks without even having played a show which like back then was completely unheard of um <laughs> which is no it was like mad also just like fuck we don't have any money we <laughs> gave like thomas three grand to buy petrol and you know he had cameras and we just went on a trip which thomas thomas ferreira yeah yeah and he <laughs> ended up making a lot of you know music videos for a lot of us but i mean that was like literally we were in a bar at 11 the previous night kind of decided hey we need to make a music video and like the next morning we were in the car <laughs> and Laudy was just tagging along he's also in that video he's not even on that song <laughs> you know and it's so funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking about that the other day he's also in Pelifer Caspius as well and he's not <laughs> he's just yeah, Laudy's just I mean, chilling there yeah but we were hanging out a lot I mean all of us were just kind of back from varsity you know it's that awkward age where you're like 24 25 you don't have any money you you're basically moving back in with your parents it's not that much fun after being you know like completely on your ace in varsity and doing your own thing so you just kind of find solace in your mates who's in the same same kind of boat i mean that hunter basically recorded and and wrote a lot of those a king songs kind of simultaneously with these hebrew mm. songs um because the, the band's kind of launched very much in the same time. Um, it was actually a very, I think, a very productive writing phase for him. Wrote some of his best stuff, you know, including yeah. those songs. And then, I mean, when you guys eventually, when you did get get the, the, the band together, um, it was full Erasmus on drums back in the day and then Fred. Mm. Um, yeah. And then you started touring and I just remembered now, did you not win a van one year <laughs> at the MCAR Awards? Do you yeah. still have that van? Still have it. It's got a lot of kilos on it now, but we still have it. And it's, it's, it was looked after really well by Tank, who, who's our road manager, and he's been for most of our careers. You know, the car stays at his house. Because the minute we won it, we drove it up to Joburg. Of course. And... Uh, yeah, man, that that's uh, that was such an amazing gift. I think it actually allowed us to, to actually, you know, play so many more shows than we possibly would have, you know. Yeah, and and, like, and presumably making things easier because, you know, you don't have to spend all that money hiring cars and trailers. Absolutely. And, yeah, mm. absolutely. And we actually had a, a – the van was full of our gear. So when we flew, we didn't, like, fly with our guitars and – 
didn't mess up our instruments that all the Cape Town musicians are always moaning about. Like we always, <laughs> at the airport, we always just like cruise through with like a backpack and these other guys are like, what the fuck? We have to check in like 17 pieces of luggage. You guys are just cruising, you know. <laughs> that, that, it was like a fan voted thing. It was amazing. Franny and them also won a van the next year. <laughs> so, keeping it keeping it in the family. <laughs> well, that was really cool from Andy's side. I mean, geez, an amazing gift. You know, I, I remember having a chat to Louise Krauss a while ago. And for those listening who don't know who Louise Krauss is, she's a PR legend. She does all of Fokoff and, and Francois PR. Anyway, she told me that the smartest thing that you, Diehels, did was to tour all the little towns around South Africa and basically leave like no stone unturned when you toured because that's how you built a fan base. And then when you dropped a new single, like every community station requests it. So you're covering like all your bases. And and obviously with the van, that helped things immensely. But how important were those early days of like driving everywhere and touring all over the country? Yeah, but I, I think it's still kind of super important. It, it feels like, you know, never mind now under lockdown or whatever. My fellow South Africans. But it feels like a lot of these smaller towns, they never get to see a lot of the stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And obviously now with live streaming, maybe they get to tune in. But like we, I think the tour was called the Blackberry Schooler Jam Tour. And we basically pitched to them, we want to take the music to the towns that we don't play that often. So like mm -hmm. Friedenberg and Virginia in the Free State and like Friede and... And they were like completely on board because, I mean, for a sponsor or a cell phone provider, their customers are also all over this country. So, mm. so, so we pitched it as a fundraiser. So we bring the show. You can sell tickets. Super cheap though. Like we capped the, the price. Said like you can't charge more than 50 bucks, but obviously you get to do all the vending and sell the food and whatever, but we'll bring the show. That's for free. And it was actually quite amazing to see these towns like, jump behind it i think the smallest show we played was like for 700 people <laughs> in like a very wow in like a very small town but that's just rallying that's the moment you kind of give people a fundraising opportunity you'll see a community rally behind it you know and yeah i i, I think louise is quite right like without that i'm not i'm not necessarily sure you know our brand would have had the legs that it it still has today where it feels like it, it still has Mm. I mean, like you said, fast forward a few years and right now nobody's going anywhere to tour anything. <laughs> so how different is it going into an album launch planning phase during lockdown? Like was the tour and the rollout already confirmed? And then like, did you have to go and change everything? N not really. I mean, we, we kind of saw things bubbling under and kind of, you know, like, because with our records, I mean, like people like Louise and Lene and, and the guys who <laughs> help us with this kind of stuff, no, when we make records, it's like, when is it done? And we can never tell, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's done when it's good because we, we're not answering to any label and like deadlines and whatever, because I, I really believe a lot of, a lot of artists, they suffer under, under the pump of a deadline. And I don't think music should be created that way. Like, I, I think it's, it's. It should get get released when it's great. So th this album was definitely supposed to come out a bit earlier and then we kind of delayed. Or it just it felt like it took ages to kind of put the finishing touches on it. And then by the time we were kind of ready, we were in lockdown. So 
that definitely bought us some time. And then it was like, okay, cool. But now we have to rethink. Because we would have, you know, probably booked out like a Weifeld in Pretoria mm. and a venue in Cape Town. The classic, like hit the main big cities, um, play the festivals we usually play or was already in our calendar. Um and just kind of work around what was already booked. Any boss was a big one we were looking forward to. We were going to play the Saturday night, uh, which is the big night, um, you know. But, yeah, that that being said, I, I feel like, I mean, I said it when we started talking, it was super stressful for me as the manager of the band to pull this together technically that it worked and it translated. But on the other side of the coin, I think it's actually very... I don't know, it's kind of cool that this album was released during a time where I think people are making very specific memories with the music, and it will be very, I don't know, when you look back on this record, you'll probably remember where you were when you heard it. So, well, I, I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> no, I, I think you're very right. I think um, this is a very novel time. I don't think we're going to be in a situation like this again so the music that we're listening to the concerts that we're streaming are going to very much um be nostalgic for us 10 15 20 years down the line but um i'm gonna go there i'm gonna talk about the live stream i'm gonna ask about it because it's not something that like any of us have ever had to really think too much about you know what i mean so who's the first person that you called to brainstorm with this idea yeah so <laughs> franny had just kind of you know, put his tickets on sale for his lockdown show. But I mean, that was from a technical point of view, pretty, you know, simple. They dropped off a camera with a little streaming box and he was going to be in his living room doing it. And I was like, fuck, that's, that's super stressful for him. <laughs> but I mean, from a technical point of view, it's, it's pretty simple as long as the internet's pretty cool. And then myself and Van Ann started speaking, you know, like just looking to the future. And I mean, him, him managing a couple of artists as well. Like we were on the phone literally every day trying to figure out like, all right, this is what our next 12 months are going to look like. How do we do this? Like we should definitely try and pool resources and, and try and figure this out together. Um, how we ended up doing it the way we did was a, a, a very big influence of like Howler, the ticketing company that we use for Lift Betty Dam, ha having had a, pre-packaged live stream but a very cool interactive element with the zoom rooms they did and i was like a three-day dream stream like a uh, big fundraiser for, for for the techies in our industry and that to me felt like if we can work something like that into what we were going to do to launch this album it could be super memorable and then through mgg and denzel and adaman who i met at france and frinda and at afrikaans they're a big tech tech company you probably know some of the guys they they were like listen our cape town warehouse is basically ready they've only done djs but we've got staging we've got all the equipment in the warehouse and like those two things like came together i was like okay cool if we can use visuals which we already started kind of packaging in the back end to help promote our record mm -hmm. because we were like okay we can't make music videos so we collaborated with Mashant and and the one who, who made, makes all our visuals for our live shows already. So he had the album kind of already packaged in that way. I was like, okay, if we can plug all these elements in together, we might have a winning combination. But still, like the day before we did it, we weren't really sure if the Zoom thing was going to work. You know, like let people know an hour before the show, cut, you know, 
come check it out. We're going to mm. be in the gym room, backstage, whatever. We're going to try and, and like learn me all. The guys really hustled and it worked amazing. It really worked amazing because the dress rehearsal felt super weird. Like live streaming is very weird from an artist's point of view because you don't have the audience that you usually mm. feed off, obviously. But then all of a sudden you see these faces right with you in the room like somebody's drinking a glass of wine, somebody's partying, everybody's in good spirits, and all of a sudden you're too because you don't feel so god I'm alone with a microphone, <laughs> you know. So I, I don't know. It, it was definitely a little bit of luck involved, but it's definitely what we tried to achieve was a, a interactive live streaming event that was kind of sort of like it would be if, if we did it the normal way. Um, and it actually felt... Super special on, on the night. It felt, it felt kind of right. From somebody who was there, who streamed it, like I said at the beginning, uh, I really think that everything did come together on the night and you pulled it off You pulled it off amazingly. So really well done. My hat off to you. But, but that, that night when I got home, I was like, there was nothing left. I was, I was just so, like, I don't know, like relief and stress. And I was just sitting in my backyard Everybody sleeping, just literally staring in front of my, in front of my face. It was a yeah, crazy feeling. So when's the next uh, live stream? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when I muster up the courage to do it again. Now, it, it's interesting. We've obviously talked about, like, it's a different landscape. Like, if your diary would have had 70 dates for the next, you know, whatever, um, booked, there's no way you're going to do 70 live streams. It's just not the way... It works. Um, and especially, I, I think, like, artists are definitely competing now for people's weekend attention, like the Friday, Saturday. Definitely. So, I, so I, I think our, our view will probably be to curate it a bit. So we'll probably try and revisit some of our songs in a very stripped-down way and, and maybe record that and then build a show around that. I, I think we're going to move into a phase of creating more content be that recording it or playing it live and recording it. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Just mm. making and packaging more stuff and not performing as much. Um, but yeah, I, I imagine like a stripped down show and what the guys have been talking about that we're probably keen on doing is playing that first album top to front. Cause there's like Ooh. six or seven songs on there that we haven't played in the live set for a very long time. And it would be, I don't know, it, it just feels kind of like a cool thing to do, to revisit that record. I'm totally on board with that. Sign me up. <laughs> Where do I buy a ticket? Um, but with, but with we'll the, put it on tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but with the new album, uh, with 2020, 2021, I feel like you've stayed true to your roots and you know you haven't reinvented the wheel and it's still very eclectic and it still blends a whole bunch of genres and it still features a whole bunch of collaborators like you know all of your albums before that do you yeah. feel like you've found a winning formula of sorts when it comes to putting albums together I, I don't know it feels to me like we've kind of we had kind of obviously a good template with that first record I mean it's still like I, I would imagine one of our most loved albums and, and you know, bands only get one chance to make a debut anyway, but it feels kind of like we've moved to the other records in a similar fashion. Like you said, with a lot of collaborators and a lot of musicians. And I mean, like the, the liner notes is pretty, it's pretty <laughs> long on, on, on any of our albums because that's just the way we make them. But 
with this record, it feels like we we achieved the cohesion of that first album. So where I think like the middle few, like it's it's quite here and there, it's a bit loss and fuss and, and like there's a lot of ideas at the same time, you know, where it feels like on this one, to us, I think it feels like you can listen to it like the first record, like track one to 13, mm-hmm. you know, barring the two bonus tracks. And it feels like that's the journey that it was really kind of intended to be that way. And everything was kind of thought out to work as a whole, but, but I, it took 14, 13 months to make. So, you know, <laughs> by the time it, it's done, like we're fucking over it, but I don't know. The other night, after the launch, I was like, even the new songs, they feel like they fit in the set. It's like they should be there. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of, of, of it. I love what Fred said uh, in the official press release about the album coming together during the final stretch of lockdown. He basically said, like, because of that process, the novel process, there's a heightened sense of uh, togetherness and contact, which made the collaborations on the album more special. And I, I, I thought that that was quite a, a special sentiment. But is there any collaboration on 2021 that stands out to you for any specific reason as, mm. as a favorite? Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the song we did with TJ. I don't know um, if that many people actually know that he's like the, he was the front man of New Holland and and black-handed kites and like he's a he's a very close friend of mine and and just the way that track came together it was like fred was in the studio and he's like i've got this idea and he literally went in and played like all the guitars all the bass and like the basic beat and then that was just kind of hanging there for so long and myself and hunter we had like melodies but we were really struggling to kind of put an emotion to to what the music was feeling like and I was just like, guys, I'm going to send it to TJ and see what he comes up with. And and he basically came up with 70% of, of what you're hearing there. Um, and yeah, I just think it's it's quite a special song. And like, I'm super excited. He's actually renting Johnny's house that, that Johnny used to live in that has a very cool studio connected to it. And, and he's starting to make some music again. And I don't know, TJ is, I think, arguably the best songwriter actually out of our greater friendship group and i think there's amazing stuff that can come out of it yeah i when new holland did that uh reunion show i think it was at manila bar like a few years ago it was just a once-off thing that was incredible it was really really nice to see them all together and back on stage even though tj had completely different color and style hair almost didn't recognize him (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i i also thought that including the live version of Leah from the Francois and Frinda show in Pretoria last year on 2021 was very smart because that was one of the standout moments from the show. It was crazy, like how people were just screaming every lyric back at you. Um, and it comes across really, really well in the in the live version that, um, you know, how amped everybody was. What do you think it is about that song specifically that still resonates with people like 10 years later? 
Yeah, that, that's a very good question. I, I was speaking to somebody else actually about how that song was written and that, that was literally, I think the only song ever where I wrote most of it in like 45, maybe an hour, uh, just kind of late at night, picked up the guitar and it just kind of flowed out. But I think it's the, it's a sense of urgency kind of, or the sense of loss. I think people really relate with that feeling. You know, everybody's felt it. Everybody's like lost something and can't get it back. And I, I think that's what that song actually achieves in conveying. Um, and that's something that people really, I don't know, can channel. And I think that's what that's what makes music amazing. You know, it's it's not just cathartic for the artist who creates it. It it becomes something else eventually when it you know gets out there. Um, so I I think that's what's happened there. But with it being included on the album, Merinas, who who engineers that show and and who's a very good friend of all of us and, and great sound engineer, I wasn't even sure if that show was recorded to be honest. And I kind of asked Franny, and he said that he thinks so. And <laughs> I, I just kind of, for some random reason, while we were touring at the end of last year, I was like, that was a pretty cool performance with Johnny on the piano, and it like really felt great mm -hmm. on the night. Um, and I just texted him, I was like, if you by any chance recorded that, it would be amazing if you could mix it to include as a bonus track. And he was very like radio silence and working and whatever. And like right before the record was done, he was like, I actually found the hard drive and. I'm going to mix it for you. Don't worry about it. And, you know, you got it out. What a legend. <laughs> Shout out, Marinas. That's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful way to end off 2021, I think. Um, and I wasn't going to ask you this, but, you know, let's, let's just hoy. What, why, why 2021 and not 2020? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. We actually, we were completely out of ideas in terms of what to call this group of songs. And, you know, we've always had kind of these ingest Valerisi Voltaine or Yanni Alaka kind of stuff that people colloquially say to each other anyway. And we tried to follow suit and we just couldn't come up with something really good or even, a, you know, pulling a lyric from one of the songs. And, and I think we were just kind of, talking about COVID and how fucking weird it is. And I was like, let's just call the record 2021. And like myself and Fred on the WhatsApp group, we just immediately went, yes, that's it. Done. <laughs> you know, like this uh, conversation's over. That is the album's name. And I, and I think what it, it actually does, it conveys what a lot, a lot of people are feeling right now. It's like, fuck, fuck 2020. It's cancer, let's, just, you know? let's just skip this year and go straight uh, to 2021. Yeah, let's just look to the future and like, something to look forward to. And I, I mean, like the crazy thing is 2021 will probably be the first time when we get to do it with other people on a stage, not in the live stream sense where, you know, you can see their faces a bit better than on a pixelated screen. <laughs> like I said, you're so ahead of your time. <laughs> <laughs> ah, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> but with our music industry being in a, bit of a crisis right now and uh, people not knowing when live gigs are going to return and you know when we can get back to some sort of semblance of normalcy what does that mean for you as an event organizer and promoter with Lifta Baby Dumb which has become so successful over the last few years 
Yeah, shit, man. Like myself and Chad, we've obviously been in contact since lockdown quite a lot, and and as things progressed and moved, and we kind of saw the way it's going. We, you know, we, I think we realized it's it's just way too <laughs> volatile, and, and to to even try and and plan something like that, you know, like. Most of the the big events that I know are moving online. As far as I heard, there's rumors Financial and Freedom might move online as well. Uh, we're not sure as organizers of Live to Betty Dam if that is what it is. You know, if, if it's worth doing a live stream of let's say five or six hours with many acts and and like literally take over people Saturday. It it might be something people need. I don't I don't I don't know. It but lifted to me it it's. Uh, it's a you got to be there kind of vibe, <laughs> in a way. Um, but yeah, I might be wrong. We should maybe poll this. <laughs> what, what do you think? Um, I as as a, a small event organizer myself, I honestly I don't know. I think we should poll it to everybody listening. But I do feel like there is some merit for a live stream. But I don't know how I feel about like a marathon six seven hour joel you know what i mean i feel like what you guys did for the album launch of 2021 was great it was slickly packaged multi-cam it was superb and it was you know short sweet punchy to the point like i like that i don't necessarily enjoy sitting in front of my laptop for seven hours on a saturday when you know what i mean like that's what i do during the day (laughs) during the week yeah yeah mm. It's interesting. Maybe it should just be shorter. Like, like I mean, I think our album launch was about two hours. Mm. You know, if if you can compact it and yeah, I, and that's maybe why something like Franchise Window could also work because it's a little over two hours. I think that show. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. But um, I, I just want to know what, like, what, what are your projects? What's in the pipeline for you and and Hevels in the future? But is there anything yeah. specific you want to talk about? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm quite excited. Um, just li- like I said earlier, with the year kind of being what it is, and and obviously us having a bit more free time, like. Um, Hunter has been working on a, a solo record for quite a while and he's putting a lot of effort into into finishing that at our studio, The Nothing Club with Fred and Fre- Fred's been making music with a lot of collaborators that hasn't seen a lot of days so I, I'm pretty keen to kind of play my managerial facilitator role and, and just help help all of us kind of make the content that I don't know, like that we now have the time to make, you know, that our touring schedules are not interfering with and, and, and making sure that, that the content gets ears because that, that's a big part of, I don't know, I don't know if listeners actually understand that, but making sure that when an artist makes music that the word gets out, like the Louises of the world and the Lenaikrias of the world and what you do with Text in the City, like it's, it's, the one doesn't go without the other or what, whatever your manager is doing for you. Uh, so I, I'm trying to focus on, I don't know, making more content, but also making sure that those content or the content that we make gets heard, if, if that makes sense. 100%. So I know that Fred released 
a song, I think it was like late last year I heard that, that was mm-hmm. on Diehl's, um YouTube channel. But talk to yeah. me about Hunter's solo album. Yeah, so it's it's super, super eclectic. He, he's definitely kind of doing um, like a little bit of what you've heard maybe on Dasa Boys or on Memphis mm-hmm. Law. You know, there's a, there's a bit of kind of mumble rap going on, but <laughs> it's it's also like um, what I really love about what I'm hearing out of it. It's it's very kind of free flow and anything goes, and it I think it's going to be a very eclectic pastiche of him as a creative, and that's super exciting for me. I mean, I, I I've really liked the the pre production and stuff that I've heard, and I mean he's one of my favorite songwriters and never mind songwriters people in the world. So I think that's something people can really look forward to. And he's, he's collaborating with, with cool people like Fred and Johnny and, and, and just the way he's putting the record together. I think it's going to be really, really cool. So yeah, that's just, I don't know if he wants anybody to be talking about it, but there you go. We'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure, like, I'm sure he does. He does actually want people to know it's coming out at some point. But that's like, I mean, he's busy, you're busy. It sounds like the extended Super Familias family is very busy. Um, And that's all that we really want to be in this time is just, you know, be stimulated. And Yeah, we we were saying to each other the other day, I I feel super blessed that uh, during this kind of lockdown time was, was actually the time when we had to kind of finalize releases and mixes. And I did vocals at home. Um, that ended up on the album and like we had to plan it all because it definitely preoccupied my mind with um, I don't know good stuff you know positive Mm. energy (laughs) so I I think that that should be anybody's plan um, if they're struggling is just find something that's I don't know positive and you know keeps you moving forward find something positive that keeps you moving forward those are very very wise words um (laughs) And I just wanted to say thank you again for doing this podcast with me. We should definitely do this again in 2021. <laughs> yeah, see how it all went. Do a recap.
Shout out to Die Hevels Fantastis for joining us in studio. Thank you for joining us for another Text Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. For myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our assistant researcher and collaborator, Al Clapper, catch you all on the flip side. <laughs>